Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. When the scripture says that the battle is the Lord's, she just read how that happened. And we're going to go through that, but before I do, I, I just want you all to know, if I were 50 years old and hadn't lost about half of my, my uh, voice, we would be singing in Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, 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 Joshua fit the battle of. And what happened? Walls came tumbling down. See, and, and that's really what this is all about, but it isn't what it's all about. That's what we have had our emphasis on forever. We've talked about that because of the song and other stuff. But keep in mind, the whole business that we're really talking about is how God gets things done when he is totally in charge. Because what Emily read to you was this. The battle God will fight if and when we meet his terms and his conditions. We have a tendency, and especially among our Pentecostal brethren, they will often talk about the battle is the Lord's, the battle is the Lord's, the battle is the Lord's, to get off the hook. There is a hook, and the hook that's here is this. God has serious terms and conditions, and unless those terms and conditions are carefully met, he lets us just go on our own. And there are good reasons for that. Unless his terms and conditions are carefully met and committed to by God's people, the results turn out to be awful. And we'll see that later when we go to the city, uh, the conquer, the Israel conquers the city of Ai. It's, it's spelled A-I, but it's... Uh, it's just pronounced I. So I want to talk to you a little bit about Joshua. Get to know him because he's now the leader. Joshua the man. Let's look at that. And you can follow along on the outline because I'm going to follow that pretty carefully. Initially, his name was not Joshua. Or if, it's a, if you translate that to Greek, it's Jesus. Initially, his name was Hoshea. Hoshea has a question with it. May God save. It is a question of hope. His name was changed to Jesus, which literally means that Jehovah saves, period. A difference in, in, in a hope and a fact. He started off, Joshua started off as a servant of Moses. He was the only guy that got to go up on Mount Horeb there in the Sinai Peninsula with Moses to receive the Ten Commandments and additional information that came from God. And, and, if you can, and I gave you the, if you notice, I gave you the text so that you can check each one of these. When the children of Israel as a group, were, they had their own military, they formed their own military, and Joshua was appointed the, the, uh, the commander-in-chief of, the, of Israel's military. And when they went against the Amalekites and some others that they had to face on their, on their way uh, to the promised land, Joshua led that battle. And then on Mount Nebo, and the funny thing about that is, actually when I was in uh, seminary at Vanderbilt University years ago, I had a church up in western Kentucky that I went to and preached on the weekends and stayed there during the summertime. And the name of that town where I preached was Nebo. So Moses and I have had a thing going together for a long time. So uh, it was on Mount Nebo that Moses died. And at which time uh, 
God said, you lay your hands on Joshua before all the people, then they can see that you, as well as I, are setting him apart as a very special person who has in him the spirit of God that I put in you. And he's to lead the people. Now, what we're talking about here gets to be a pretty serious issue. We're talking about the leadership of God's people, whether it be Old Testament, New Testament, or whatever. And uh, there's some been a lot of interesting things happen in our culture today that just totally violate what the scripture says the leadership of the church as well as the leadership of Israel was to be and to do. In our culture today people like to ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. And as long as that attitude exists among God's people, ain't much going to happen. Because of the scripture, and because we, you know, it's like everything else in our culture, and, and, and I'm guilty of this too, you, you know, you get this thing where da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and down at the bottom of the page it has terms and conditions, and nobody ever reads them. But they're, they're really written by a lawyer. And if you ever go to court, they don't pay any attention to the deal up here. They always go to the terms and conditions. Because the terms and conditions are essential to be met if we are going to accomplish what's laid out for us. Joshua was told by God, this is the way it has to be for you. Okay, I've selected you. Moses has given you his blessing by laying on of hands before all of the people. They recognize now you are the leader. And in the opening, if you go to the book of Joshua and you look at the very first chapter of the book of Joshua, it clearly says, Joshua, you've got to know what I want done and here's the way you have to do it in verse 8 of chapter 1 book of Joshua he said and this is the Lord speaking through an angel to Joshua do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it and if you do, then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Don't be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now, once Joshua had this clear in his mind, this is what you have to do. Your primary mandate is to meditate on God's law and to obey it. That's your primary responsibility. Your secondary responsibility is to lead my people. Because you have the word of God then firmly implanted in you. And see, the New Testament actually reflects all of these things. The, the New Testament says, you hide the, for all of us, you hide the word of God in your heart. So that you won't sin against me. Same principle. Meditate on the Word of God. Hide the Word of God in your heart. Won't sin against me. Now, with that mandate goes this promise. The promise here is spelled out in verse 5, that same first chapter. Here's what will happen if you do what I've asked you to do. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Now, this next verse becomes very important. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Actually, this, this verse is quoted in the 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament for you and for me. If we hide the word of God in our heart, meditate on God's word, 
and obey it, his promise is, I will be with you all the time. Even though you may not be conscious of it, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That promise is to believers. Now, that, and so what have believers done? They've gotten a great big argument over whether there's eternal security or not eternal security. I don't care about all that theological nonsense. All I know is the Bible says, if you'll hide the word of God in your heart and make a commitment to obey it, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's all we need to know. But that's pretty serious. That's pretty serious. Then he says, you know, and if you do that, you'll be successful because nobody will be able to stand against you. Now, Joshua was operating in a totally hostile environment. He was facing opposition in the land, the promised land that God was going to give him. And God said to him, hey, look, Josh, here's the deal. If you will do what I tell you to do, conquering the promised land will be a piece of cake. All you kind of have to do is walk along and watch how I do it. Because when he says the battle is the Lord's, he really did mean that. He was going to take care of it. And really all Israel had to do was to be obedient and go along for the ride. And we're going to see exactly how he did that. Because it reflects on us as well. Now, when I finish here, if there were some of the kind of left-leaning preachers around listening to me, I would be justly accused of being a legalist. Legalist means, you know, uh, got all these rules that you enforce on people. Well, I can't help it. God does enforce some rules on his people. And he makes it very clear. And if you want to be successful, you'll obey them. We live in a culture, as I said at the outset, where people say, ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. Well, the results of that are what we're seeing in our world today. There's no right and wrong. Just whatever is okay. And if you oppose whatever's okay, then you are a legalist. You are even accused of being Nazis. A nationalist is now a Nazi. These guys have been smoking dope, I'm telling you. And, and if you're going to pay attention to the Word of God and be governed by the Word of God, you're going to have serious, serious pushback from our culture today. <laughs> I made the mistake, I really, I did it, I'd do it again. But I, Alice Kay and I had been to Kroger's getting some because we kind of go, whether we buy anything or not, because she needs the exercise and, and, uh, and she won't get it unless I kind of push it. So I said, come on, let's go to Kroger's. So we walk, and we walk up to Kroger's. And I don't know, we bought some little something, didn't mount to row piece. Anyway, I was carrying it, and one of our neighbors, who is as left wing as Mao Tse Tung, she's really a, a, a likable cuss, but she's, she's way over there to the left. She said, what you been doing? I said, oh, we've been, uh, oh, what do you got in your bag or something? I said, it's a Biden burger. She said, what's a Biden burger? I said, it's a $2 hamburger we paid six bucks for. And... And about that time, she came off of the wall. And she told me, I'm a Catholic, and we got the best pope ever was, and, and our current pope is a socialist. We got the best president ever was, and our president is a retard. And so, I mean, you, all you have to do is look around and say, and, but she was all over me, and, and I couldn't help but kind of laugh. Now, if you laugh at somebody who's trying to chew you out, it's like, you know, pouring coal oil on a fire. It didn't go over too well. But ever since then, she waves at me real good. So it's all right. But that's the culture we live in. It really is. So I'm going to address that. And, and you can rest assured I am walking against the flow. Okay? Take that ahead of time. Now. God's promise to Joshua is 
you do what I tell you, and you can't fail. Nobody can stand against you. You cannot fail. So how does it, what is his plan? How did, how did this come about? It's important for us to understand. First of all, understand that there are two armies, not one. Israel had a tendency to say, it's us against them. And when they looked at the people, when they first went to the edge of the promised land and they sent in the 12 spies, and they, they went into the area where, of the Philistines and they saw people like Goliath and his brothers and so on, they said, these guys are giants. We have no chance against them. Only two brought back a good report. One was Joshua, the other was Caleb. They said, hey, with our God, it's a pushover. Let's go. And they brought back all the goodies, and they said, this is what's there waiting for us. But the people, not recognizing that God was, would lead them, just totally blew it. But there are two armies here. And, and uh, here in the fifth chapter, and we forget that sometimes, the presence of the Lord and, and the tools at his beck and call. We forget that sometimes, and we need to be reminded. Here in the fifth chapter of the book of Joshua, he recalls a circumstance that uh, most of us forget or have never read. I don't know. Starting verse 13. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I've now come to you. Now who in the heck is this guy? And who are, who makes up the army of the Lord? Well, the answers is all through Scripture. God has an army. They're called angels. And this guy here is an archangel who's, who's the commander of God's army. The unseen powers of God are, are, are beyond our comprehensive powers. Now, you, you, you remember this, but you may have forgotten it. When Jesus was hanging on the cross... And they were saying, you know, well, Rome did this, or the, the, the Jews did it. And, and he said, hey, look, this isn't the issue here at all. Rome is a tool. Israel is a tool. I'm here by choice. This is the plan of God for me to be here on this cross. If I chose to, I could call for legions of angels, and I would come down off of here. Who are these legions of angels? In other places, called, they're called the hosts of heaven. This is God's army who have unlimited powers. The reason Satan is so powerful is he once was one of those angels in God's army. You don't tackle him alone if you're wise. So we have Israel's army and we have God's army. And so what happens here when Joshua meets this guy who's a four-star general in the army of God? Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Now remember the word angel is not translated in your Bible. It's transliterated. It means you take the alpha and make an A. You take the N and you make a new. And, and so you take the letters, the Greek letters, and you just bring it down and it spells angel. If it were translated... To English, the word angel means messenger. And so Joshua says, what message 
messenger do you have from God do you have for me? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. You remember the same thing happened to Moses when he saw the burning bush? He goes over, and the message was, Take your shoes off, Hoss. This is holy ground. Now, all that's going on here is Joshua, as Moses was, is being reminded that if God is going to fight the battle, you must be subservient to him. He is your commander. Now, once this was made very clear, you see, the commander is essential in winning any war. I like to read stuff about the Second World War. I had two uncles that fought in it. Uncle Walter, his name's Walter Scott. I was named after him. I actually got his bar bills for a while. My father objected to that, so he started calling him Walter and me Scott. That's really how that happened. I was Kenneth before then. But you don't need to hear that. But I'm convinced that the reason we won the war in Europe is because of one man. Now, everybody think I, I like Ike. I, I liked him, too. I voted for him. But I don't think Ike, without George Patton, would have cut the mustard. Patton was a field commander who felt he had been ordained by God to lead an army and win a victory. Uncle Walter said, I saw him one time in the dark, but I could hear him better than I could see him because he was so foul-mouthed. He could cuss like a sailor. In the, in the Pacific... I think the Americans won that war because of General MacArthur. Now that, and uh, that's, you know, just my opinion, and uh, you're welcome not to argue with me. Oh, my point is simply this leadership is essential in getting the job done. And the leadership in the church is in, internationally is in dire condition simply because the current pope is an avowed socialist. And so the church on an international plane is in, in a heap of trouble. But I'm concerned about the one right here. Here's the way it seems that God sets this thing up so that it works best. He is ultimately in total charge if it's going to be successful. And it has to be done exactly his way without us having the right to undercut his commands. And he requires that the people of God consecrate themselves to two things. First of all, consecrate themselves to God, and secondly, commit to following the leadership of God's appointed person. That makes us, in our culture, uncomfortable. But we're talking about here the kingdom of God, and we're talking about things that our culture is really opposed to. But the Bible is very clear about that. In the 17th verse of that same opening chapter he talks about the people he says just here's the what the people are, do, are to do just as we fully obeyed Moses so we will to Joshua he's saying so we will now obey you only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses and he spells out there how rebellion is anathema in the eyes of God he says, whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your words, whatever you may command them will be put to death. And you, Joshua, 
you be strong and courageous. This sets up an interesting thing of how the leadership, how God sets up leadership. Because as I see it, leadership is essential. The right leader is essential in carrying out God's plan to bring into subjection what he prayed, what Jesus prayed for. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so God is in the position of using leadership and his people to bring principles of heaven to earth. And the earth is a hostile environment resisting it at every turn. And yet that's exactly why you and I are here this morning. Leadership. Matthew and I differ on this. He, he says, I, I'm, I, don't, I don't want to be seen as, a, uh, uh, as the person that everybody should look up to. I don't agree with that. I think the leader needs to be the person that people can look up to. And I'll be honest with you, I've always tried to do that. Have I ever failed? Uh, I would say no. My wife says you have. But she continues to live with me. So that's okay. No, I, I think it's important that the preacher and that the leaders in the church, now listen to me carefully, that the leaders in the church be people that your children can look up to. I violently differ with this concept of, uh, uh, of the leadership of the church. I, you know, I, I strongly oppose the idea that, that, that a, a, a preacher looks like a hippie. I don't want my grandkids looking like, I, I strongly, I think it's stupid that you pay twice as much for britches with holes in them as you pay for those that don't have holes in them. I mean, to go out and say, I want, I want to look kind of stupid. I want people to see uh, the tattoo that I put on my knee That looks stupid. And now, see, you young ones, you you won't agree with me, but you're wrong. (laughs) At least as far as I'm concerned. And I think that we have abandoned, listen carefully now, because here's where I'm coming from. I think we have abandoned the concept of a search for excellence and have listened to our culture to look like hippies. The result has been catastrophic. Our schools have gone from the best in the world to down to about 35th in the world. Our military is in trouble because can't recruit guys wearing holes in their britches with a hippie uh, sign on their knee, don't want to put on a uniform and salute somebody. Ain't nobody telling me what to do. People break into a, into a, a nice store in California and everybody steps back while they steal everything there and walk, walk away $35,000 worth of stuff and everybody sits and watches them and the cops don't even show up. Now, if that's not idiocy, I don't know how you, how you would pronounce it. So what I'm saying here is a search for excellence is what God is really putting out here. He's saying, I, I want you to be different. I want you to be better. I want you to be better educated. I want you to, you know, I really think that I can make a real case for this. I believe that the leadership should be known to and committed to following the example of Jesus. 
Now, I know that I'll get some pushback here, but you know I'm not going to lose a minute's sleep about it, so it doesn't matter much. Because everything I do, I try to see that there's Scripture to support it. And I think you would be wise to do this as well. When somebody comes up to you, some harebrained idea, say, hey, where is that in Scripture? Book, chapter, and verse. Book, chapter, and verse. And I think we need to be held to that because that's exactly what God said. I want you to follow this. Meditate on God's Word day and night, and I want you to obey what you meditate on because I want you to practice what you preach. My mother used to say the concept of do as I do and not as I say has no place in the church. I think she was right. Do you know what the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians verse 1 says? The Apostle Paul's writing this in a nasty culture. Homosexuals are everywhere there. Murders, da-da-da-da-da. The Apostle Paul says to those people, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Do you see what, where I'm coming from? I believe that the leadership in the church today universally, and we've got people doing stupid things, and I'm talking about really good people we got preachers sharing the pulpit, Joel Osteen type, with his wife. A woman preacher is as foreign to Scripture as Satan being godly. It ain't there, folks. Someone asked me recently, because... A couple of pretty good guys here locally share the pulpit with their wife. And they're friends of mine. But they haven't dared ask me what I thought yet. And when I was asked by someone recently, I said, I have no problem with a woman preacher. Whenever she becomes the husband of one wife, let her have at it. Because the scripture says that's what the preacher is to be. The husband. Now in our tutti-frutti society today, there is such a thing, but they'll not be in the church. God's people, if we're ever going to get God's will to come to earth as it is in heaven, have to do it God's way. And I'm saying the leadership of the church must follow Christ and must represent him both in the way we live and the attitude that we have. Paul wrote to the Galatian church and said, be imitators of God. Here's how you do that. You say, well, I don't know about God. Okay, so Paul is saying, if you don't know about that, you just watch me. And I'm saying to you, it's my responsibility to follow Christ so closely that if you want to know what he's like, you ought to be able to watch me. Now, does that sound like I think I'm something? No, it doesn't. It sounds like what the Bible teaches. Follow my example, Paul said, as I follow the example of Christ. And then, and, and see, I ran into this the other day, very interesting. I asked this guy, he's a preacher. He makes a lot. I don't, I don't take any money, but anyway, that doesn't make me better than anybody else. But he has to have a salary. He's got children, da-da-da-da-da. And, and, and I asked him, I said, do you tithe? He said, no, I don't tithe. That's their responsibility. I said, book, chapter, and verse. 
And he finally looked at me and said, and I quote, that's none of your damn business. That's what he told me. Well, I knew then I had hit a nerve. I said, you made it my business. You asked me. I told you. So you're saying to the people, do as I say and not as I do. He won't ask me anything else. That, that day is over. But you understand where I'm coming from? The leadership of the church has got to reflect a standard because the Bible actually says in Timothy that we in leadership will be held to a higher standard on Judgment Day. To whom much is given, much is required. Now, I say all that to get back to how we're going to conquer. Uh, let's see if I can get it done in 15 minutes. We'll have Jericho. The walls will be down in 15 minutes. Don't worry about it. So here's the way God gets. Okay, he's got the leadership done. The people are committed to following the leadership under General Joshua. And here's the way it's going to happen. The first thing he's going to he said, I'm going to create... Among your enemies, fear, anxiety, and havoc. And here's the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to send a plague into them, just like, you remember what happened in, under Moses in Egypt? He sent flies, he sent all kinds of plagues, and just, just really made people miserable. He said, you know what I'm sending? I'm sending a plague of hornets. Now, I don't know what we were, Chris and I were trying to find a picture of, of, of the hornets that exist. Look at that sucker. How would you like to have one of those hanging down the window of your house? And you know how they operate? Well, hey, let me explain it to you. Have you ever had a lawnmower going on in the fall of the year or blowing leaves or whatever and go over top a hole in the ground that's got a bunch of yellow jackets in it? What's the only intelligent thing to do when that happens? Run like heaven. Because what do they do? They come out and attack you. Now you get, a, you get about 100,000 of these coming at you. My dad, I've never seen this. My dad swore it was true. He, I mean, he grew up before cars and, and, and they had horses. They rode horses to Milford, well, to go to the grocery store if they ever went more often to the beer joint. And he said that he actually saw a hornet, a U.S. type hornet, sting a horse and bring him to his knees. Now, I, I, I'll admit that was hard for me to imagine, but Pappy wasn't big on lying or exaggerating. Now, if, you if that can really happen, you take a bunch of these inside a wall city, and the wall city is not too big. And the same thing that happened among those people began to, that happened to the Egyptians before they let Israel go is beginning to happen there. Okay, we got this infestation of hornets that can knock you off your socks. And they already, and then to make matters worse, Joshua then sends in spies. Now, the fact that they went to a cat house has always bothered me some. But they really did. They went to a house of ill repute. I don't have time to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> when Alice Kay and I were in Georgia recently visiting her cousin, who is wealthy, and he gave us a big old check. And I sent, as soon as I got home, sent $25,000 to Patrick and Eddie to put walls on the church building over there. And uh, while we, we were down there visiting, I don't know what I said. What was I going to say? Any, now, it'll come to me directly. See, you're hung up on the cat house. I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't where I was going there, but, but that's all right. No, yet, hey, you're right. Yeah, what was the what was the what was the madam's name that ran the cat house? Ray, 
What is it? Rahab. I'm, Alice Kay and I met Rahab. On a Saturday afternoon, her cousin brought in this woman all decked out, like a hooker supposed to be decked out in Jericho. And for half an hour, she did the, put on the act. She was pretending to be Rahab. She had the scriptures down right. It was beautifully done. And I think with you bunch of outlaws, we need to bring her up here. And I, I followed her in scripture. She said it made her a little nervous. But um, anyway, so, so I know about Rahab. So God sends in the spies. And what do the spies do? The spies are what we call fifth columnists. They not only are checking out to see how the place is armored, but they're also spread. Did you, did you hear what, how Israel crossed the, the Red Sea? Did you hear how Israel crossed the Jordan River without? Did you? And, and they created. And see, you, you young ones don't, uh, but p- people the same age as Jay back there, because she's old enough to remember, and I'll hear about this. Um, in the Second World War, the Nazis did that to American soldiers all the time. They had a gal on the radio that, that our soldiers would listen to. They called her Axis Annie. And, and, and see, here would be a, a, a group of guys that got killed, and they'd get information off of them, and they'd send it to her, and she'd say, John Johnson from... Cleveland, Ohio, did you know that your wife is running around with your next-door neighbor? They, they just say things like that. The same thing happened in the Pacific. There were two women who went under the term of Tokyo Rose, and, they were, they, they would, and that's the kind of stuff they would talk about all the time. I was just a little old boy, but we could hear about it on the radio. So Joshua sends in this kind of fifth column stuff to create unrest and fear and havoc among the enemies. So what's he done? Two things. One, he has sent in an infestation of hornets. Now he sends in information that is is to create unrest and fear. And people start leaving town in great numbers. He said, I'm going to, in in the 23rd chapter, I've got to move on, in the 23rd verse of Exodus, he says, I'm going to send an angel in ahead of time. An angel of the army of the Lord will be there before you get there fixing things for you. Now, they said they created rumors, they created fear, because if you remember what Rahab said, we're all scared to death. We've heard how your God has done all this stuff. But she could stay put because they said, when we take it, we'll, they, she negotiated that she and her family would be saved. And Israel honored that. And then they started psychological warfare. This isn't psychological warfare. Isn't new. We've actually taught from the scriptures this stuff in our own war college down south. You know how I know? Because my oldest brother taught there and said, just that they, they made reference to how Joshua conquered. And it, it was interesting. What was the psychological warfare? Israel was told by God, here's what you're to do. You're to go in. The, 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 it, you'd be shocked how small um, the city of Jericho was. This walled city. I mean, it, it, the property, we have about seven and a half acres here, and it probably wasn't much bigger than that. You could walk around it in what? Just a few minutes. Israel was to show up on the first day and be totally quiet. They were to follow the Ark of the Covenant and just walk all the way around the city one time without saying a word. Next day, do exactly the same thing. Next day, 
exactly the same thing. Here's the unconquered army of God just walking around, totally unafraid, not saying a word. Do you know how effective quietness is? Are you married? When she's quiet, it's going to cost you. Because that's the way it works. And on the seventh day, keep instead of walking, well, you just keep walking around and around and around and around and around seven times. And when Joshua lifts his hand, the priests take the shofars. The shofar is a is a uh, animal's horn. Some of them are that long, and you take a half a dozen or a dozen of them blown at one time, it would sh- it would shatter your sound in here. It worse than a rock and roll band. And then turn toward the the walls and yell as loud as you can and just start running toward it. And when that happened, God intervened one more time. An earthquake came, and the walls began to tumble, and the battle was over. The battle, you see, was fought by God, and God's people were the beneficiaries. But he had to do it God's way for it to succeed. We have allowed our culture to impose its will on the church. Music has been more important in most churches than the Word of God. I've actually heard people, you ought to come to our church, we've got the best music here. And the preacher doesn't have the guts to blow out a candle. I'm telling you, folks, it's the Word of God and obedience to the Word of God that produces the will of God as it is in heaven, here on earth. And if you want to see things get done, we consecrate ourselves to the revealed will of God, meditate on it day and night, and you will begin to see God at work. Let me suggest something before I quit, because it's uh, putting eye that time. Oh, I got I got three minutes to walk around Jericho. I've always done that, and we got Rahab out of the way. That's not a problem. Okay, let me suggest something to you. Don't you kind of agree that we really don't get too serious about our faith? Until there's a crisis. You know, I was told this morning, Judy Roberts fell and broke her shoulder. Now the family's got it, and she's in the hospital over here. Tim Doyle had a demon. His legs were all swollen. He goes to the hospital. Our telephone lights, I've got to be praying for Tim. I just found out about Judy this morning. You know, one of our girls, two of our girls have been going down to Houston with cancer fears and our telephone lights up. Alice gets in touch with the women because she's got a handful of them that, that do pray faithfully. Let me suggest to you something that I, I suspect you've never done. Is that we begin, you have to start somewhere, we begin By daily praying with the same intensity, the same urgency, with a spirit of expectancy that we do whenever there's a crisis. Mike's getting ready to have some surgery over here. All of a sudden, when the doctor looks at us and says, it's cancer, 
we all become fearful and we stop everybody we can to say, please pray for us. May I suggest to you that we as God's people begin on a daily basis if you have to get up a little earlier get up earlier to spend time praying for God to get in charge of our church of our family and ultimately of our country and world. I think I can promise you without fear of contradiction that I'll practice what I preach. And if you will consecrate yourself to begin praying and, and commit to an obedient life here's the Lord and his angel here's the leadership here's a unified people whose singular desire is for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven things will begin to happen that will actually shock you and cause you to glorify God in a way you've never done it before. Because the Bible, Jesus himself said, to let your light so shine among men that others will see your good work and do what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. Pray with intensity, urgency. Pray with a spirit of expectancy. And God will be glorified. And oh Lord, let it begin with us. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.